This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 436, Squishy Purple Doom. This edition of GamesAtWork.biz. This is one of your co-hosts who is in the state of North Carolina right now. That is Michael Martin, and I'm delighted to be joined by another co-host who is in the state of North Carolina right now, and that would be Mr. Michael Rowe. Michael, how are you doing? I, I'm doing very well, and we know there's a third co-host in the state what? right now, but not what? quite in at a location state? where he can record. So we may be, we may edit something, and we may not. Who knows? We'll find out. Welcome, Andy, to North Carolina. Welcome to North Carolina, Andy. We're glad to have you in our fair state. Yes. Um, so we have, as we normally do, just a whole plethora of links. A kitten caboodle. Um, a, a, uh, a reunion of sorts for the co-hosts and a reunion of all kinds of ideas and thoughts. And thanks, people, for sharing and doing what you're doing. Uh, we're starting things off with our friend Ian, yes. who is not in the state of North Carolina right now, but we wish that he were. He has been recently, of us. And by recently, yeah, I mean yeah. the last four years. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, in the before times. Yes. Uh, so so uh, Andy shared, I'm uh, sorry, it's me. Ian shared that he is on vr headset number 16 yes with a view of his unboxing of the MetaQuest 3 so congratulations andy um ian. that'll go along well i did it again didn't i yes, you did. ian, ian. well andy has the two right <laughs> yeah, yeah something like that uh, and if you put these, andy these and well. ian together you might have a five <laughs> something like that some three like sir math yeah <laughs> so uh, enjoy those, Ian. Um, it's going to be fun to hear more about what you've got and what you're seeing, and and are the improvements where they need to be. Um, but let's let's move along to uh, another set of uh, visualizations and controllers. Um, that this is something that would interest Andy a whole heck of a lot. Uh, we talk about Doom here on the podcast on yes, more than do. one occasion, and here we have a Hackaday article yes. of how you might be able to control doom with of all things a guitar i i love this you know we talk about putting doom on things and this is yes y controlling doom with things and with things. Uh, it, it's actually pretty good i i was hoping that his uh his throughput would be faster not as much latency uh uh unfortunately there is some latency so you can't run down the hall by going on the guitar right it's more like yeah that but it works, and he goes through a really good uh, demonstration of you know the hardware he used, the software he he wired up, et cetera, and uh, yeah, it could be fun. Yep, yep. So play Check Doom it out. on the Lego brick with a guitar. Yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> um, it, next up, uh, and this was tailor made, Michael, for you. Yes. Um, because here we have a person, uh, according to this stuff article, who put. The chat GPT powered monocle, the monocle, I'm thinking monorail. No, it's not monorail. It's monocle uh, on his face for an entire week to allow for chat GPT to help. Well, what's, what's really cool. Doing. I think, I think Andy had talked about 
did he order a monocle? I think he did. It's just an AR monocle, us, right? And you he could, showed us one of them. Right? That's right, right. And so you can mm-hmm. do your own hacking with this thing and and putting stuff on it. And he actually wired up Chat GPT to this AR monocle. Um, and uh, yeah, I I guess on the author's glasses, it's not that bad because he has fairly big round glasses. Sure. And so the monocle doesn't look that bad. I have fairly you know, rectangular shapes, smaller glasses, and it would look really mm. weird to have that gigantic monocle, which is probably what, two and a half, three centimeters in diameter? Yeah. Something like that. Uh, so, half so you can dollar measure. size. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe, maybe dollar size, dollar coin yeah. size. Uh, yeah, maybe. But uh, the, the interesting part was, you know, he, it worked. Uh, a little bit of a delay. Right. Uh, again, latency kills, especially in first-person shooters. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I thought it was kind of another great example of the value you get out of having some kind of head-up display, right? And the ability to kind of not only translate, uh, but in this case, ask questions and get meaningful, longer answers than you would normally have. So I can see someone using this same type of software hookup to to connect up to just AirPods, right? And you wouldn't even have anything on your face. Uh, true, true. And and this is one of the use cases we've been talking about for years yeah. where the artificial intelligence or the just the AR interface to the world can notice what's going on in the world and provide you helpful hints and tips like, oh, I recognize Michael or, oh, you know, that particular thing you want is on sale <laughs> uh, and it's actually on sale at a cheaper price at a different store or whole range of other assistancey sort of things that you could tune up or tune down as you might see. Huh? see fit um well the, the whole it, idea of assistive technologies though is where it's going to get really interesting we have another link to uh oh, yeah. some glasses uh that do real-time speech transcription uh and yeah. and so again if if you think about assistive technologies if you have uh hearing issues uh being able to read the text but without having a big obtrusive device with you. Uh, I think this is really cool. And we were talking before the show, uh, there's a US-based Senator, John Fetterman, who had a stroke a while back and he uses some assistive technology because sometimes the words he hears don't click, but he can read them. Uh, So uh, he carries around an iPad for that. Uh, But this would be even better, right? Because it's kind of just glasses and people don't freak out if you're just wearing glasses. Well, they they do and they don't, right? I mean, we you've had the the experience of what it's like to wear glasses that allow uh, visual communication and, and cameras to to see. Yeah. And we've we've seen a couple of few of those you know, surfacing yet again. Ray Ban has made some new ones that the Meta guys are using. So those are going to continue to be potentially challenging. Well, that's because they have people a camera. wearing. Well, yeah, right. That's where I was going. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. here, if you've got a hearing aid, and a lot of people do, um, this this allows that assistive technology to let you hear better. And in this case, I, I know so many people that watch television now with closed captioning on, because when you're watching television, you're oftentimes missing some important part of the dialogue. Well, and and it's not a hearing issue. It's it's the way they compress the sound, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I. I I have a fairly decent, you know, sound bar with additional speakers, and mm-hmm. 
even at volumes where stuff is good, the sound mix, they, they, they'll pump up the action sounds or whatever. And so you'll right. have just some dialogue that is missed because there's an explosion on the screen or whatever. And so, um, yeah, the, the fact that these, the thing that I like about these glasses is, uh, or these types of glasses is the fact that it could use existing hearing aids, but it pumps it in, converts it to text and displays it on a head up display. Right. Uh, so it's not just a hearing aid. Um, it's, it's that much more assistive technology. And speaking of which, I, I know you got, you know, the new Apple Watch, uh, and you're not running the beta, are you? Correct. So, I, I so, don't do so beta you, on primary devices. You, you haven't tried the the, the double tap. Uh, however... Well, I have, but it doesn't work. I, I have, and I'm not... I've got last year's model, uh, but I turned on the assistive technology version of it because it exists. Mm-hmm. It's been there sure. for some years, and it doesn't have the same UI, but I can dismiss text messages and dismiss a few things with the double tap. And uh, I can dismiss things with a tap too. Yeah, with a tap with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it it's kind of interesting because assistive technologies are not just for people who need them from a from a physical perspective, right? Uh, they're just another way of improving the user experience. Correct. Correct. And, so, and cool. this is a this is a nice example where the compute power to do what we're talking about here actually could reside in a bunch of different places. Yeah. It doesn't have to be well, in the glasses. The glasses could be the viewing experience, whereas your watch or phone or your backpack could be doing the compute power of the transcription. Well, and that was right? the thing I, I meant to mention right at the beginning. Is, and we talked about last week, the pin. Right, yes. the the, yes, the yes. models using the pin that we talked about from the TED talk from earlier this year, etc. From Humane, yeah. yeah, very cool. Yes, so very cool. So now, staying on that same theme, um, if you have a large language model, yes. and you have the ability to do something interesting like transcribe what is being said, you know, yes. says so speech to text, uh, it was only one little hop down the hop down street to translation town, and you can have the transcribed text be in another language, uh, either in text or in speech, and you e- can hear it in your ear. Even better. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm... On the wait list, number sixteen thousand six hundred and thirty-two um, for the free lap free app LipDub. Now, Lip what? Dub. Uh, back in our Second Life days, we actually had somebody playing with this. Right, we we were taking text, uh, speech to text, converting text to text by translation, and then text to speech. So that technology has been there for fifteen plus years. Uh, sure. But what's cool here is. It will also, using a language model, have the spoken language in the other language in your voice. So you, with your speech pattern, could speak fluent Mandarin. And it would sound like Michael Martin speaking Mandarin, not a computer Mandarin voice, as an example. Including with the uh, Mandarin version of y'all. Y'all, yes, yes. Uh, So I, I found this feature really really cool um i can't wait Anyhow, yeah. to to <laughs> to 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 look at it uh i like i said i downloaded that but uh it's a wait list obviously um and uh uh given the fact that i've played around with setting up the personal voice mm-hmm. 
it'll be interesting to see the voice comparisons. Can it just ingest your voice and can it do it on your device or are you pushing it to the cloud so they I'm say, thank you. I'm not pushing it to the cloud. You. That's the thing. Ah, That's right. Ah, very, ah. Yes. So um, the, 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 All you got to do for this free thing is give yeah, me your voice. Give me your voice better. The, the one thing that I did worry about, uh, especially, you know, we've got the, 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 the writer's strike has finished in the U.S. Uh, the actor's strike is ongoing because of AI and using of, you know, scan the body in, and then you're a background extra for, forever for one price. Yep. Um, this same tool can do things like if you are... I remember as a kid growing up watching John Wayne movies in Germany, in German. Sure, and there was but a it wasn't translation John expert. It was a different guy, yeah, who did a German John Wayne, and so he mm-hmm. did all the John Wayne movies because it was the common voice. Um, right. So if you are a voice actor who does specialty in translation, this could be problematic because now you can have the original actor's voice translated into the other language using their same normal inflection and voice pattern. So that wipes out a job. Hmm. But arguably you're getting the actors emoting full experience yep. in there. And in theory, uh, well, again, I'm not an attorney and I'm well, not in the screen actors guild, but uh, arguably you would say that the, that the actor should, should be, be able to monetize for the, the languages. The, yep. Yeah. I can right. imagine you, this being a sticking point. If they haven't thought of it, you know, call me up. Uh, I'll only take 1%. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you'll get it in the back end, right? Yeah. No, I want it off the top. I don't want it at the back end. Sorry. <laughs> I know After how that works. Profits. Yeah. <laughs> so in the pre-show, um, Michael, you and I were chatting a little bit about Adobe's AI-generated content mark. And we think we touched on this at least once before. Yeah, but there's so. an article, recent one here, about Adobe's symbol so it's a graphic symbol to help identify that there was content that was ai generated and i think on the whole this is a good thing and i could see where it would be absolutely appropriate to have for images and i would see that this would also be very appropriate to have for text or any other generated content in much the same way that you have the copyright the c in a circle um, you know, that this is a CR with sort of like a, a little emotic, almost like uh, a voice bubble, bubble. speech bubble. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing that I found really interesting about this was the idea that if this showed up on a piece of art um, or content that you got, you were able to click on it and get a little bit of the providence of that thing. And so here was my thought. Uh, so I'm a photographer. Right, I'm I'm taking a beautiful landscape, and I there's some the uh, poles or wires there, and I wipe those out. So therefore, I get flagged CR, right? Because it's using AI to clean that off, or you used a filter, or whatever right? doesn't no, matter. No, no filters. Uh, yeah. So it, it got rid of it somehow. Uh, yeah, and then that picture is used by another artist to put as a picture in a frame in a movie on a set. You want residuals for that, don't you? I'm not talking about financial. I just want Providence. That picture, right? Normally you say pictures in this movie were furnished by Getty Images, right? Well, 
it wasn't just Getty in that case. It was the whole set of AI things that could pop up if you click on that little graphic symbol content icon on the image in an appropriate tool. So just kind of think of the the layers of this. At what point does it stop? And at what point must it be there? Well, that's why things like blockchain exist, right? So if you're able to say that here is a derivative work of a derivative work of a derivative work, you can trace it all the way, turtles all the way down, as you like to say, uh, to find out where the original came from and what happened. And and I think there's a, there's something uh, very appropriate here, especially in this day and age where people like to put filters on things yeah. or that people like to clean up their writing with uh, an improved set of syntax, grammar, etc., to then suggest, okay, is are they misrepresenting the writing as their own? In that case, I would say, well, if you had an AI assistant help you, you had editing assistance, and therefore it should be reflected as such versus something that you created on your lonesome. Yeah, it was interesting talking about writing assistance. Um, and I'll see if I can find the link again, but uh, I saw a device today that was basically a Kindle e-ink type screen, but about five inch by three inch, so five inch wide, three inch high, attached to a full-size keyboard in a little okay. foldable case, right? Yeah. So basically the screen folded down on the keyboard, but right. it wasn't the length of the the, the 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 keyboard and it was designed to be a distraction free writing environment so you could take notes and type and it was low extremely long power uh, long life low power blah 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 because it's an e-ink screen uh and and the the only thing that they did is they're like but there's no spell checker because they didn't want to add that processing in there and i'm thinking what do you mean Put a spell. You can put a spell checker in there. I mean, you can put you know a sixty thousand word dictionary in there with no no problem and no code basically. Uh, but I can imagine doing that and attaching it up to a Chat GPT like tool to do that language improvement. Yeah. So sure, sure. And and in my mind, that is an editor function. Yep. Right, like Grammarly or something like that, that if that's being used, it is. it might be your, your original thought, but it has been edited and it has been changed. So, you know, is that now something that you uniquely have? It, it's an interesting discussion well, point to think about from authorship, isn't it? Yeah, well, editors are a existing job, right? And they get paid a fee for that job, which is very different than the writer who might get for every copy of a book, right? The editor gets paid mm -hmm. to edit the book. It's a one-time thing. The author gets residuals from the book being sold. And it, it's interesting yeah. because I've been spending this week doing a lot of writing for the day job. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and as, as you know, writing is one of these things that the more you get interrupted, the harder it gets. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. So I, I needed one of those little editors this week. I, it's it's funny my my version of that is called paper and <laughs> like when i go someplace and i don't want to take notes on my phone i i will have i almost everywhere i go i've got a block of sticky notes and i will that's my go-to and if it's not that then i've got paper and i'll write on paper which i think is back to the user experience mm -hmm. it signals to other people that i'm paying attention to what they have to say 
and I'm taking notes on it versus being potentially distracted or doing something else or not being Zen in the moment and present. And in, in our increasingly connected world, my suspicion is we're going to see much more of this. So the, the, the notion of artificially constraining technology to be a unitasker is a very expensive and e-wasty kind of thing in my mind oh, yeah. to go do because your laptop could do the very same thing. I mean, you could go and get your editor, you know, and go to full screen mode and, and turn on full do not screen. And, yeah. Yeah. Cause I was, I was surprised it. on that. And, and I also saw another one, uh, another ebook, but it was the size of a phone. So it'd be a small ebook, kind of like a paperback. And I'm like, Okay, why do I need I a third a different? It's like I got yeah. a phone that does that. Um, plus, it was priced at like twice the price of most ebook readers because it was a unitask or small one. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, why do you need that stuff? Doesn't make sense. Anyway. Now, um, <laughs> let's let's switch gears into AI land, even more more so than we've been before. So this week I saw in the MIT technology review roundup, a super cool example of leveraging artificial intelligence to respond to a prompt of create a robot that walks. Yeah. So that was, that was the prompt, you know, super simple. And what came out of it was essentially, I think they, the language they used was instant evolution. I have to go back in the article and find it. But it was a way of, hey, what can I do? What can I create that's going to walk? And this is something that maybe there's a human being out there somewhere that could have imagined something like this. But it wasn't a human that did it. It was yeah. it was the artificial intelligence that created this blob that when you inflate it with air, it expands. And then when the air is let out, it collapses and it kind of walks its way forward. And it's super, I mean, you got to see the video. I know it's an audio podcast, but take a look at the video and you'll see exactly what I'm describing. So so in a way, uh, they should have posted this on on Mastodon because it kind of toots its way along, right? Yeah, sort of. I mean, that's <laughs> that's where, where it is. And, you know, when we started talking on our podcast here about situations where AI is playing games. It doesn't know the rules yep. of the game. It just starts playing the game and seeing how things work. And I'm reminded of the Qbert example right. where it found ways to win the game that were Bunkers. essentially bugs. Yeah. There were bugs in the game that allowed for that win condition that no human playtester would have ever found. So it's, it's a bulldozer approach where you can say, evolve in this direction, throw away the extraneous until you get to a spot. And then it's like, okay, well, here, here's a solution to the problem. And it might be more efficient or more expedient, or it might be less costly or, 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 and, and you come up with something like this. So hats off to the, to the people at, um, I think it was at Northwestern university in, uh, in Evanston, um, that came up with this very very cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 amazing, and 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 I do like the 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 point that you made, and that the article talks about is kind of the the sped up evolution, right? They didn't right. say make legs. There no. was nothing in there about using legs to walk with, and the natural evolution of just go do something with this blob uh, was for it to kind of figure out that the most efficient way for it to do it was to create legs. Yes. 
So, so I, I couple this, and I'm not going to go deep in this this regard, but I couple this with the Triangle TechX event that I had uh, the opportunity to participate in this week, uh, over sponsored by the folks at MetLife, and it was really intriguing to hear what various people had to say about the the costs that are involved. So, a prompt like this, you know, requires the creation of a large language model. It requires the energy that goes into the creation of that large language model and a whole range of other elements around water usage, electricity, compute power, a whole range of things. So magic like this comes at a price. And if you look at the entirety of that spectrum start to finish from where you're mining for the rare earth elements that are going to make up those environments and computers and so on, all the way to the e-waste side, you know, there's that notion coming up again. Um, all, all of this has to happen in order to create the magic. And a, a thought hit me earlier, um, today that was related very much to all of this, which is you want to have a minimally sized large language model to be fit for purpose because that will allow you to minimize that cost structure for maintenance and ongoing training and a whole range of other things. You don't have to distinguish a cat or a dog if you're executing a procurement process. Andy, welcome to North Carolina. We're so glad you're here. I mean, I literally got off a plane and got in a cab and rushed to somewhere to record with you both. So yeah, hi, here. Hi, you're well, here. It's real. So, so yes. was that cab still a General Motors cab by any chance? Uh, <laughs> I did not pay enough. Enough. Did not pay enough attention. Did Did you write your own APIs while you're in the cab on the way to the hotel? Uh, no, I mainly used the Google Maps API to watch which way he was. Make going. sure that they're like so. not driving in extra circles and like add some miles well, to the trip. Well, just just because he didn't seem completely sure where the hotel was when I got it first, got in the cab. So. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. So, so apparently, GM and, we, and we've been giving you know various car companies uh, some attention here on the podcast about CarPlay, not CarPlay, other things. Uh, what we have here is an announcement about GM calling a vehicle services uh, set of services called U Services, little U capital S Services, to allow for the automotive developer 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 community to <laughs> write apps for cars. Um, for, so, for those GM cars that no longer support CarPlay or anything else. <laughs> yes. So so I'm thinking this could be a rich market for uh, things beyond mapping. I mean, things that you could want, perhaps want to do in a car only, and you could write a service and, and call those APIs and have it show up on the head-up display or who knows well, what, so this right? Is, this is the vehicle features. Um, I'm guessing it's going to be the actual you know mechanics of the car the vehicle rather than things like maps and so on but mm -hmm. uh, i didn't know they'd also released an open source software protocol called U protocol so that's yeah. quite interesting i might have to have a look at that and see where that where that has actually been um lodged as an open source thing because i know the eclipse foundation's been doing a ton of stuff around software defined vehicles and and iot for a while so i wonder if there's any relationship it's there. part of eclipse that's interesting to me it's oh, joining it the eclipse. eclipse foundation for this wow that well, is well, not what stated I found, in this article but that's very yeah good. if you click on the open source protocol uh in the article that's what i was doing actually yeah yeah what, there what's we go the automaker is joining the eclipse foundation that's very cool which yeah. is makes it a double shame that i can't go to the uh, to EclipseCon this year because that's coming up uh, any time now. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Cool. Yeah, 
I, I find this actually doubly interesting in two ways, right? Because you know, GM announced earlier this year that it was not going to support uh, CarPlay, et cetera, that they were going to build their own app store. Uh, and right. if they are exposing automotive features into the apps on their head unit, then it makes sense that they would need an API that might encourage people across other automotive vehicle manufacturers to leverage it, assuming they can get others to also go away from uh, the Android Auto or CarPlay, right? If it's only for General Motor vehicles, it makes it more difficult to convince developers to say, I want to write for a GM-only infrastructure, uh, even well, though I might have access the other, to the, the the AC unit or or what the brake lights are doing. Well, they do also say that this Altify uh, platform that they are also uh, introducing is going to enable in-car subscription services and new opportunities to increase customer loyalty, which you I'm mean sure revenue. will excite Michael. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure will excite Michael with his opportunities for his uh, favorite vehicle manufacturer to paywall the features of his vehicle. <laughs> I, I just think we should have an oscillating heated seat kind of thing, which, you know, like it turns on, then it turns off, then it turns on, then it turns off. You yeah. Know? Oh, oh, that was five cents. Oh, that was I mean, five it cents. Works. Doesn't oh, work. Another five cents. Works. <laughs> uh, well, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And it's a it, good catch on on the open source aspect using the Eclipse Foundation. That's That, that will be interesting because I'm doing work with Eclipse stuff right now. So... Very good. Ah, see, Very there good. we go. Connections to the real world and things that we're doing. So uh, speaking of connections and to, to real worlds and such, um, there was an article that caught my attention um, a, from an Italian company that makes the Gigapress. And I spent a little bit of time researching my way into this sort of thing because I've, I've loved being in automotive manufacturing plants in the past. And I've always marveled at uh, uh, at least what some of the German manufacturers call the wedding, where where they marry the transmission with the the carriage of the car, and uh, after it goes through body and white, and kind of all comes together. Uh, the the notion of the gigapress here, though, and and this Italian company has now been selling these presses to Ford and Hyundai and more, is to really work along the same lines as a matchbox vehicle, where it creates a unibody in one fell swoop as opposed to hey i'm going to do the right quarter panel and then i'm going to connect it to the undercarriage and i'm going to spot weld it with all these robots no 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 it is one big press bang do they take a giant block of aluminium and press it down into the car (laughs) only on the chamfered edges yes do they use one point do they use 1.21 giga, gigawatt gigapresses? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I find this interesting uh, in the manufacturing process because like you, Michael, I've, I've been to multiple automotive manufacturing plants and watched them put it together. Uh, I did the Opal plant outside of Frankfurt, which was really cool. Yep. Um, and uh, it's just amazing how that level of manufacturing and assembly works and how all the pieces at the right time just kind of come together and you're done, right? Uh, This this will change that process a lot. So it changes the factory floor. It changes uh, the business process, the design process, everything. Be interesting to see this this type of implementation. It's also interesting to me from an additive manufacturing perspective where 
the last well, the 3D printer show I went to earlier in the year, they were showing gigantic, I mean, not this big, but gigantic uh, printers for producing panels um, for vehicles rather than, you know, single, single pressed pieces of metal that was essentially the entire uh, vehicle shell. So you could see that there's some crossover or equal competition between these two methods of uh, manufacturing. Yeah, so the company's called IDRA from Italy, and the, their newest and largest model is the size of a tennis court. And it's got this garage set of doors that that's where the finished product comes out. So really, it is a 3D printing kind of an experience where you're stamping it out. That's well, where, you, what's well you're stamping here. it out. And it reminds me, there's a, there's it for, I'll try to find a link to it, but there's this great uh, comedy routine from uh, Steve Martin from the 70s where he talks about the, his theory of McDonald's, where they have this big vat in the back that goes cheeseburger, <laughs> cheeseburger fries <laughs> and just squeezes it out to be served so uh we'll see that in manufacturing Lovely. now <laughs> 3d printing yeah all uh, from, from steve martin yes. so we're gonna wrap up the show here with a couple of quick hitter items uh one of which is an example of flappy bird uh in the mac os finder uh where you can keep your high scores and you can track it on through well, and just have some fun with flappy bird but the best part is that no unity framework is required here um you know this is the logical <laughs> conclusion to the unity uh uh mess over the last few weeks that games developers are switching to the simple things that are available to them in the operating system binder Let's yeah do it. i mean why not right and then, then last, Michael, there was a video uh, that you had uh, seen from Kate Bush that from Andy. you thought was Andy cool. Andy sent it over. And oh, I, the, this, the was, Andy. this was awesome. Um, it's not so Kate this, Bush. I mean, it is Kate Bush's music. But, yeah, but um, it's not her. You know, that's, it's, a, it's running up that hill. Uh, or as the people who watch Stranger Things might remember, uh, make a deal with God. Um, and what I found fascinating about this, not only was the interpretation on the, the instruments, but the words in early Middle English that have survived, like yeah, hill. Exactly. Yeah. Right? There, there are just a couple of words you're like, is, that's obviously that. I shared this with a group of my friends that I used to go to geek conventions with, and um, they were commenting because several of them are, have got um, backgrounds in linguistics. Some of them are from different um, European languages, and they were commenting on the similarities between early Middle English uh, old English and, yeah. and the various other lang languages across Europe. So, yeah, it was it was also, I, do you know, I originally saw it and thought Middle Earth, and that's why I sent it your way. But, of course, it's not Middle Earth, it's Middle English, which yeah. is something that I did do a, a small amount of learning about when I was at school. Um, but it, it's quite beautiful, actually. I think it's quite nice. There, there's um, a reading I'm vaguely remembering of Beowulf that was done in yes, Middle English. that's too, correct. Which, well, yeah, it was written right, in Middle English, I believe. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, well, exactly. But the reading of it was something even more. Well, friends, um, Andy, welcome again to North Carolina. We're delighted that you're here. Uh, we're going to end and leave things here for um, for our listeners. And uh, we hope that you um, you enjoy your stay. And we hope that our listeners find a few links to send our way so that we can record them right here next time on gamesatwork.biz. See you. See ya been listening to gamesatwork.biz the podcast about gaming technology and play we are part of the blueberry podcasting network and would like to thank the band random encounters for their song big blue 
You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork underscore biz or at our website at GamesAtWork.biz. Thank you.